sometimes Jesus does this thing and he heals this person or he speaks about this thing or he kind of tells this story. But in chapter 10, he really just lays out the heart of who he is and why he came and what it is that he's going to do. And there's all sorts of people around him that are wondering, just like maybe in this room, should we believe what he has to say? Should we believe who he says he is? Is he legit? Is he someone that we could really follow or pay attention to? And he's just going to lay it all out on the table. And I love it because this is really the heart of what we believe and really the heart of who Jesus is. And so this is a great Sunday to be here. But before we uh, do that, I want to show you a video that is from this year's Golden Globes uh, by Jim, a man named Jim Carrey. Some of you may know, or you might not actually know him. If you do know him, that's great. But he, you know, he's going he's gonna to say something that he said, and maybe some of you saw this at the Golden Globes, but really is at the heart of what Jesus talks about in this chapter. So we're going to watch this short little clip of Mr. Jim. Thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey, going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. It would finally be true. And I could stop this, this terrible search. For what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. But these are important, these awards. I don't want you to think that just because if you blew up our solar system alone, you wouldn't be able to find us or any of human history with the naked eye. But from our perspective, this is huge. One more time, here are the nominees for Best Motion Picture Comedy. So, so here's, what he, here's what Jim says. And yeah, Jim, we're on a first-name basis. He says, he says that we're all searching for something. He says we're all on this search, that we're all hungry for something, that in each of us there is a search for something. There's a search to see, will life have fulfillment? Can we matter? Do we have worth? Do we have value? What, what would make life worth it? And that each of us is on some sort of search to discover that, to find that. That's something that all of us are looking for is, can my life actually matter? Do I actually matter? What would actually bring me fulfillment? It's something that we're all searching for. And some of you, some of you maybe are in the middle of that right now. And you believe that, man, if I get that job, or if I could finally work for myself, then I would experience this. Then I would finally, it would finally be true, it would finally be enough. If I could get that guy, or if I could get that girl, then I would matter. Then it would finally be enough. Some of you maybe are in the middle of that search right now, and you believe, like what Jim is saying, one golden globe. If I finally got that golden globe, it'd be good. But, but we know that's not true. 
And some of you have maybe had success like he has. And you've gotten one golden globe and you've gotten two golden globes, metaphorically speaking, I think. You've gotten those things, but you knew and once you had it, it wasn't enough. Because there's always another hill. There's always another golden globe to get. There's always something more. Or maybe some of you have failed. You thought, if I get this thing, if I get this relationship, if I have this child, if I get this job, if I can experience the world, if I get this, then everything will be good. And you got it. And, it, and then it crumbled. Or you didn't get it. And so life can feel hopeless or life can feel apathetic or life can feel just disappointing. Like, this is what I need. And if I have this, it will fulfill me. And you don't get it. Some of us are in the middle of the search. Some of us have achieved it like he has. And some of us have failed. But what we know is that nothing ever actually fulfills. And look, I I don't think this is a surprise, right? I don't think it's a surprise. I mean, when he said this in this room filled with stars and he says, you know, then if I finally got the third golden globe, then it would be true. Then nobody, I mean, nobody was shocked by that, right? I mean, to say that whatever we get won't actually fulfill us, nobody goes, what? Are you kidding me? Nobody is surprised by that. I mean, the front row got Denzel. He's laughing, just classic Denzel, my man, right? I mean, he's just, I did, I just did a Denzel impersonation. They didn't teach you not to do that in pastor school. They, they probably thought it was a given, but nope. So he's just, you know, he's like, here we go, man. I mean, everybody's laughing, right? I mean, it's not, it's not something that's shocking. It's not something that's surprising to say that nothing will fulfill you no matter what you get, whether, whether it's a golden globe or a relationship or a job. Or, that's not a shock. But where do we go from here? I mean, where do we go from there if that's true? Because that's still in us. And Jim doesn't tell us where to go. He doesn't say, well, here's what you do then. Where do we go from here? Because we know that that's true, and yet still within us is this search for fulfillment, for life to have some meaning, for us to feel like, okay, finally I matter. Finally, I've got the fulfillment that I have been looking for. Where where do we go from here? Why is that in us? And Jesus speaks to this. If you've got a Bible, you can open up to chapter 10. But here's what Jesus says. If you don't, it's okay. We'll put it up on the screen. He says this, and there's going to be some weird language in here about sheep and gates and stuff, but I'll I'll explain it, and we'll narrow in on really the heart of what he's saying. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hears his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. He says, look, no one, if somebody comes in through the back to get into the sheep, that that the sheep don't belong to him. That person's a thief or a robber if someone's sneaking in the back. The shepherd just goes straight through the front door and says, hey, come to me. And the sheep listen to him. They follow his voice. A stranger, they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So we're in good company. If you ever go, I don't get it, Jesus. They didn't either. And they were more familiar with sheep and things. So Jesus said again to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He's switching the metaphor up. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came 
that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus says, look, if somebody's just kind of hired to guard the gate, and they see a wolf coming, unless it's Liam Neeson, they're out of there, right? They're gone. If you haven't seen that movie, I'm sorry. You should see it, The Gray. So, but if, unless, it's, unless it's somebody that knows how to beat a wolf, if a wolf's coming, they're gone. They're, they're taken off. But Jesus says he's the good shepherd, and when a wolf comes, because he is not just getting a paycheck, he cares for the sheep, he stays there, and he gives his life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So what does Jesus know that we are longing for, that we are searching for? See, to understand why we have this search in us, to understand why it is that we are searching. We have to understand what it is really that we're longing for. What is it that we're trying to get to? And Jesus, as he's teaching this, he's appealing to the desires that we have. He knows the different desires that his listeners had. He knows the desires that you and I have in this room. He knows. And so he's using language and he's using metaphors and he's using stories to speak to the desires that we each have in our hearts. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, I know something about you. I know something about you. He's saying that to the people listening, and he would say it to us today. He says, I know something about you. I know what you're longing for. I know, and he uses language of pasture that sheep go into. I know you're longing for this sense of finding some fulfillment and safety like a sheep would enjoy a pasture. And he talks about as a shepherd bringing sheep into a home, into a flock. Jesus would say, look, I know something about you. I know you have a longing in your heart for home, for that sense of, ah, I'm home. This feels like home. Jesus would say, I know something about you. You've got a longing for home. You've got a longing for pasture. Jesus says, look, I came to give life. He would look at each of us and say, look, I know something about you. There's a longing in your heart for life. Whatever you want to call that, the good life or life abundant or whatever you would want to call it, Jesus would say, look, I know something about you. I know there's a longing in you for life. You don't just want to exist, you want to live. Jesus looks at people when he's talking and he says, I know something about you. I know you want someone to care for you. I know you want life. I know you want pasture. I know you want a sense of home. But where do we find that? See, Jesus knows about our longing that we have this in us, but where do we find it? Where do we find it? See, the problem is this whether it's the Golden Globes or relationships or jobs or success, whatever it might be, here's the problem. We are looking for something big in something that is so small. We're looking for something big, but we're looking for it in things that are small. So some of you know this, and, and I was talking to somebody earlier today, by the way, these crackers are gluten-free, that I have a gluten allergy. And my wife and I did uh, this special diet a couple years ago that supposedly is supposed to help cure that. And when, if, if ever you have done a diet, 
in some sort of intense diet that's restrictive. If you've ever done something like that, you know that you kind of get cravings for other things, right? And I've heard before that if your body is craving something, that that's, you're supposed to, you know, that's your body speaking to you, and uh, it means your body's deficient in whatever it's craving. And I love that, because I'm always craving donuts, so it's like my body is speaking to me, telling me I'm donut deficient. It's a beautiful thing, right? And, uh, and so I would get cravings, though. I'd get these cravings. My body would be speaking to me and telling me I need donuts. And what would happen is this. Couldn't have sugar, couldn't have gluten, even gluten-free donut. Couldn't have anything like that. And so I wanted that, but instead I had like mushed up dates with some nuts. And, you know, there's this kind of sweet. It's got a little bit of flavor to it. But I know this is a silly illustration, but I wanted something big, right? I wanted a donut. I wanted a pastry. I wanted something to satisfy that big craving in me. And I got mushed up dates, I had a craving for something big, and it's being satisfied with something small. It doesn't quite cut it. It doesn't matter how many of those I eat. It doesn't matter even if I put a little honey on it. It's not going to be the same as a donut. It's not going to be the same. Jesus is saying this. We are looking for something big. We're looking for something big. We have a longing for something big, but the problem is we look for it in things that are so small, in relationships, in jobs, in success, in family, in all sorts of good things. But it's mushed up dates compared to the big thing that we're craving, that we're wanting, that we're longing for. And Jesus says, I know this is in you. I know something about you. I know what you're longing for. I know what you're looking for. And you know what Jesus says it is? Jesus says, What we're craving, even if we don't actually know that this is what we're craving, what we're longing for is a shepherd. The thing that we are longing for is a shepherd. The big thing that we're actually wanting, that we're actually longing for, that we don't even know, is a shepherd. And we look in all these little places, we look in all these little things, and we go, it doesn't satisfy. That golden globe didn't satisfy. That person didn't satisfy. The honeymoon was great, but then it ended. The child was beautiful, but then it didn't quite fill my life completely with everything I thought it would. The friends are great, but they fail me. The job is amazing. I can work in my pajamas, but it still doesn't mean that everything is beautiful and wonderful. We're looking for something big, but we're looking for it in things that are small. And Jesus says, you know what you're actually longing for? A shepherd. Now, here's the thing about shepherds. In some ways, that's a beautiful image and a nice image. One of the most popular chapters in the Bible is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Memorize that. My wife did too. She was telling me when we were like in third grade and don't really have it memorized anymore, but she said that they had to memorize that if they wanted to go to this pool party. So that's a a great way to trick people into reading the Bible. You want to swim? Memorize this. The Lord is your shepherd. Okay, so uh, sorry if you had an experience like that in church. We wonder why people leave church. <laughs> it's because we wonder why people don't know how to swim. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, so, it's like, I'm not going to read the Bible. Forget that. Uh, I don't want to. Okay, so anyways, it's a popular verse. It's a popular chapter in the Bible. It's a beautiful thing. One of the most popular images of Jesus is him walking around with a lamb around his neck because the idea of a shepherd is a beautiful image that a lot of people like, but it's also scary because you know what a shepherd does? He's with the sheep all the time. You've never gone into the wild and seen a sheep, right? You've never been just walking around the wild and all of a sudden the sheep is there. And even if you did, you wouldn't be like, oh my gosh, it's a wild sheep, right? You'd go, this guy is lost, right? You wouldn't freak out. 
Because a sheep needs a shepherd. And so the shepherd is always with the sheep. A sheep is completely dependent. A sheep is completely dependent on the shepherd. A sheep gives total control of its life to the shepherd. A sheep is completely submitted and completely surrendered to the shepherd. The shepherd cares for the sheep and he's always with the sheep. But for a sheep, the relationship is one where the sheep says, you control my life. I'm completely dependent on you. I completely need you. I need you to feed me. I need you to, I need you to take care of me. That's the relation. And in some ways, that's beautiful. But in other ways, that's really scary, right? That Jesus says, here's what we need. We need a shepherd. And Jesus knows that that's a scary thing. Because Jesus says, we've had bad shepherds. We've had bad shepherds. He talks about other shepherds and really he's talking about religious teachers that have been thieves and have been robbers. And people that came to steal and kill and destroy. And some of us have had bad shepherds, bad influences in our life where we gave our life over to them in some way, shape, or form. It could have been a romantic relationship where we said, man, I am yours. And it didn't turn out well. It could be a pastor or some sort of religious leader and they burned you. It could be parents, someone, anyone in your life that you said, here's my life. I give it to you in some way, shape, or form. And it burns you and it hurts you. And Jesus knows that. He speaks to that. He says that I am the shepherd. And what you've been longing for is a shepherd. What you've wanted, the big thing that you need is a shepherd. But he knows, he knows that's scary. And he says there's all sorts of bad shepherds that have messed with you. And I know in a room of this size that many of you have been hurt by shepherds. I know that. I know that you've given yourself to people in some way and have been hurt, and Jesus knows it too. So why should we look to him then to be our shepherd? Why should we trust him to lead us in our searching? If Jesus says, you know what you're longing for? You know what you really want? You know what you're really searching for? It's a shepherd. You know what will really satisfy that deep desire in your heart? It's a shepherd. Why should we, why should we trust him to lead us in that search that we have? Why should we look to him for that? Especially if we've been burnt. And we'll look at this, but as Jesus spoke, there was a great division among the people. Whenever, and look, this is true then, and it's true now, and it will always be true that when Jesus speaks, there is a big division about what people think of him. There is a big divide between the opinions that people have about him. Rightfully so, because what he said is not tame. What he said is not tame. It's crazy. And so here's what Jesus says. Here's what creates a division, or or here is the division that was created based on what he said. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? This is not a casual response. This is, this man is insane. Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. He's saying, once you belong to him, he'll never let you go. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, and he's going to quote a verse from the Psalms here. It's a little weird, but I'll tell you his point. It's not, is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent to the world, you are blasphemed because I said I'm the son of God? If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Saying, look, there's a verse in the Psalms where David says that that humans are gods, especially those that are like kings and rulers and authorities because they have some of God's judgment, a lowercase God, because some of his authority is extended to them. And what Jesus is saying here is, don't quibble about a word. Yes, I'm saying that I'm God. Yes, I'm saying I'm the son of God. But don't, look, don't quibble about a word. Is what I say true or not? Look at what I do. Don't just get upset about a word. Look at what I'm doing. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained and many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Why should we trust him to lead us in our searching? There was a division. There was a split. Some people said, yes, we can trust this man. And some people said, no, we cannot trust this man. And what's important to see is where the split happened. You see, some people said, he's insane. He's crazy. He's crazy. He's, he's, he is, he's lost his mind. He's a nut. That's a strong response. But look, that's a valid response. Sometimes people say, look, I don't think Jesus is crazy. You know, I think he he had good inspirational things to say, right? He's a good teacher. I like what he says about forgive people and love people and turn the other cheek and help the poor. I mean, it's great. But when these people heard Jesus teach, there was not a third group that said, he's not crazy, he's not who he says he is, but, you know, maybe I'll get a poster with one of his quotes on it, post it on Facebook, a nice little meme. I mean, nobody said that. People said, he is insane, because of the types of things that he said. And I think sometimes that's hard for us to understand that when these people heard Jesus, they didn't think he's good. Some believed in him and some said he's crazy. He's crazy. Because what if people today said what Jesus said? What if the respected leaders in our world said what Jesus said? What would we think? I looked at the top 10 most admired men and women in the world. And what if they said what Jesus said? I'm just going to do a little experiment. Maybe it'll make you uncomfortable. What if President Obama said this? I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Would you go, that's inspirational. No, you would go, he's crazy. Doesn't matter what you believe about him, whether you love him or hate him, you, you would go, he's lost his mind. Or or what if Bill Bill Gates, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? I mean, Bill Gates, billionaire, he's great. He's got a lot of inspirational quotes. You can find them on the internet. They're great. He says, but if he said this, we would go, Bill, 
I think something's wrong, bud. Maybe you wouldn't call him bud, but it'd be nice if you could because, you know, I trick-or-treated at his house once. Um, well, the gate that was like behind the gate, behind the gate. So here's a true story. Or what about this? Oprah, okay? Oprah, she's great. Here's what she says. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. We don't say that's inspirational. We go, she's lost it. She's nuts. Or the Queen of England. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's such a great picture for that quote, too, right? It's like, this is not a scene from The Walking Dead. This is the Queen of England. Like, what kind of tea has this woman been drinking? Okay, so... But if she said that, we wouldn't go, man, she's so inspirational. We would say, she's nuts. She's lost it. So why should we trust him to lead us in our searching? You have to understand when some people heard Jesus, they didn't say he is so inspirational. They said he is crazy. He has a demon. That's what we would think about those people, right? There are people who have made these claims. David Koresh and Jim Jones and Kanye West, people that are insane, right? There's people that have made those kinds of claims and they're crazy people. It's not, sorry, that, you know, it's not fair to lump him into those people. He's got some good songs. Connie has some good songs too, but um, why should we trust him? Some people thought he was crazy. Some people thought he was crazy. Some people thought he was crazy, and that is a valid, I'm telling you, that's a valid opinion to have. We would think about any of those people if they said it. But some people didn't. Some people believed. Some people believed what he said. You know, this week I was asked, I was asked this week, why do you believe? Why, why, why is it that you believe? How do you, know, how do you know that your hope isn't just put in something crazy? How do you know that what you believe isn't just false? How do you know? And that's always a hard question to answer. But, but the, the things that I said are the things that I see here of what Jesus says and of what they saw of those that did trust him. You see, you can think that Jesus is crazy. That is a valid opinion, okay? If you believe Jesus is crazy, man, I, I think you're understanding him. Or maybe he's not crazy. Maybe he's not insane. Maybe he's divine. Some people believed in him. You may wonder yourself, why do I believe? Maybe you're a Christian. You're like, I don't, why do I believe? I believe. I'm not even sure why I believe. Or maybe you don't know what you believe. Maybe you have a lot of doubts. And let me just say this. If, you, if you're somebody that has a lot of doubts or questions, I respect that so much. Because you know the Bible never, ever tells you to have blind faith and to just believe and to just have faith. And some of you maybe grew up in a church like that. And this is kind of a scary thing to come check things out again. But you were told, just believe, don't ask questions. That is so crazy. I mean, nobody should, I mean, if you heard those people say that and they said, look, just believe it, okay? Eat my flesh and just believe it. You'd go, you are nuts, you shouldn't just believe. You should doubt. You should have questions. I mean, to a man that claims he rises from the dead and says these things, you should have questions. And so if that's where you are at, man, I respect that. I respect that so much. But why, why is there reason to believe? Is there reason to believe? Here's what I said to the person that asked me, and, here's, and I think we see this right in this text. Those that believed him, some people said he's crazy and he has a demon, and then other people said this, are these the words are these the words of a madman? Are these the words of somebody that has a demon? There was something about the way he spoke. 
There was something about his message. There was something about his words that people heard and didn't, I mean, you, maybe you've talked to someone crazy. I have. And you're like, okay, I, they're crazy. But when people heard Jesus, some of them said, are these the words of someone that's crazy? Are these the words of somebody that's lost it? And what, what are they talking about? What are the words that Jesus said? Well, it's all over, it's all over this book and all over the other books of the writers that record the story of Jesus, but even just in this chapter, here's the message of Jesus that people are talking about. Here's the message of Jesus that is so different, that is either crazy or maybe it's divine. You know what Jesus says? You know what he was always saying? Jesus was saying things like, I've come for the spiritually weak. I've come for the spiritually poor. I've come for the spiritually lost. I've come for the spiritually needy. I've come for the sinners. I've come for the unrighteous. This is very different. And this upset the religious leaders because the religious leaders say, look, God takes those that are good. God wants those that are upright. God wants those that have it together. God wants the moral and the good. And Jesus came and upset them because he was always saying things like, no, no, you don't get it. I'm coming for the sick people. I'm coming for the broken people. I'm coming for the people that know they're messed up. I'm coming for the worst. I'm coming for the sinful. I'm coming for the people that are humble because they know how messed up they are. Those are the kinds of words that Jesus spoke. The words that he spoke were, I'm coming for people that are bad, not for people that are good. And the good people, the religious people, the Pharisees, the people that, that, that controlled the religious institutions, they didn't like him. Because he said, I'm coming for these people. I'm coming for the ones that don't have it together. You know how different this is from any other message? Every other message, every other religious teaching would say, look, God helps those that help themselves. Or God is for the people that do well and do good. Or God is for the people that even look at themselves, even today, some people would say. God is for the people that look at themselves and know, I am good, I am great, I am awesome. And if you know that, man, you've got a connection with the divine. But Jesus says, no, I'm for the people that are broken and messed up and have tons of problems and know it. And the religious people got mad about that because it shook up everything that they believed and taught. This is why Jesus says things like this. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. And, and man, when he teaches here, he says this. You know how many other people are trying to get something from the sheep? And he calls them thieves and he calls them robbers. They're all trying to use the sheep. And sometimes that's how we view God, that God's trying to get something from us. And Jesus says, that's not what I'm like. I'm here to give something to you. He says, I came to give life. Jesus changes the way we view God because he says, look, the whole relationship between man and God is not if you do well, God loves you. If you do well, God accepts you. If you do well, God brings you into his family. If you do well, if you know that you are good, if you have the confidence, if you can believe in yourself, if you know all that, then, oh, man, you will experience God. Jesus says, no, it's not like that. I, don't, I have not come for you to earn something, to achieve something. I've come to give you something. I've come to give you something. That's why the relationship is between a shepherd and sheep. Jesus says, I've come to give you something. And look at the beautiful things that he says here. He says that the shepherd cares for his sheep. Look, Jesus cares for you. He says this, that the shepherd calls the sheep by name. 
Jesus knows your name. Man, that's been blowing my mind this week to just think about that. Jesus knows your name. Like he doesn't look at just a map. Look, right now, some of you, I know your names. Others of you, I don't. I hope to know them. But I kind of see a group. But Jesus sees names. He knows your name. Jesus says, you know, you know who I am? I'm, the, I'm, I'm a different way to view God. I'm somebody that has come to give you something, not take something. And I know your name, and I care for you. And then the highlight of it all, the pinnacle of it all, Jesus says this. He says, I came to lay down my life for the sheep. I came to give my life for the sheep. Why would Jesus have to do that? Because we don't have wolves trying to get us. Jesus uses the metaphor of wolves that are trying to get people, and he protects them from being torn to pieces. But, but here's what we have. Here's the enemy that Jesus says he's willing to lay down his life for us for. It's sin. And sin is not just bad things we do. Sin is the desire within us to want to be our own shepherd, to want to be in control of our own life, to not want God as our shepherd, to want to be able to live how we want to live. And Jesus says, that will tear you apart. But instead of it tearing you apart, I'm going to let it tear me apart. That's what the cross is. The cross is Jesus allowing what should be on us to tear him to pieces as a wolf would tear a sheep to pieces. Jesus says, I'm going to let it tear me. I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. I'm going to protect the sheep. I'm going to protect you from sin. This, this is so different. Some people heard what Jesus said and they said his words. There's something about his words. There's something about this message that either is insane because no man has ever invented something like this, neither since or before. No one has ever said, you know the way we relate to God? God goes after the bad people. No one has ever said that, except for Jesus. No one has ever said the way we relate to God is God goes after the bad people, the ones that know their neediness, the humble people. But that's what Jesus spoke. And some people heard that and said, if that's true, I would take that. If that's true, these, aren't, these maybe are not, some people heard it and said, this guy's crazy. No one's ever said something like that. And others heard it and said, I hope that's true. Because if that's true, that's beautiful and that's what I need. And Jesus says that's who he is. Jesus says that's what he came to do. But it wasn't just his words. Jesus says this. Jesus says that he wants us to believe also because of his work. And his works at that point, he had healed people and he had done some miracles but the greatest work that Jesus has done, and what he mentions in this text, is not just that he died, but that he resurrected. See, Jesus didn't just die. Jesus isn't dead. He didn't just sacrifice his life as some great example. He didn't just sacrifice his life as some great picture of love. Jesus died, but he resurrected. That's the greatest work. Jesus says, look, I want you to believe in me because of my words and because of my work. And the work, the greatest work that he did is the resurrection. Now, should we believe the resurrection? I mean, look, I wish I could give another hour on why we should believe the resurrection. But let me just say this. Historically, almost all scholars and historians agree with these two things. And, you know, you're going to go, well, that's not that important. But these two things are. Something happened. Something happened 2,000 years ago. I mean, something had to have happened. And this that the disciples, Jesus' closest early followers, they believed that he rose from the dead. Now, maybe they were delusional, and maybe they had this mass um, hallucination, which neurologists will say has never happened before, but maybe they had this mass hallucination. But something happened 
And the disciples, his early followers, they believed that he rose from the dead. And this is important because you know what the message was? Some people start religions even today and, and other religions have teaching. And the teaching is this, do what our teacher said. That's the teaching, do what our teacher said. I mean, I know that's a simplification, but if you boil down religions, it's here's what our teacher taught us, do what he said. That's not what the disciples taught. They didn't go around saying, Jesus said to love, you should love. People, that, wasn't, that wasn't new. They didn't go around saying, Jesus said care for people, you should care for people. Their message was Jesus is alive. That was their message. These Jewish people that would never think a man could be God. These Jewish people that didn't even have a conception of someone raising from the dead. These Jewish people that all of a sudden flipped overnight, something happened. And what they said it was, was Jesus is alive. So look, you can look at all the history and you can look at all the arguments and I'd be happy to talk with you about all of that stuff. But, but when we go, man, why, why, should we, why should we trust him to lead us in our searching? Jesus says, look, there's two things. Look at my words. Do the words of grace, do the words of the gospel, the good news, that God doesn't make us work our way up to him, but he comes down to us, do those seem insane? Or maybe they're divine. And his work, do you have a strong reason for not believing the resurrection? Do you have a strong reason for not believing that? The church came from somewhere. They said the message was, Jesus is alive. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? Because we're all searching. We're all searching for something. We're all searching for that sense of fulfillment, that sense of home, that sense of satisfaction and peace and and worth. We're all searching for that. And Jesus says, you know why you're searching? You know what you're searching for? You're searching for a shepherd. And here's why this matters, because if Jesus is alive, if Jesus rose from the dead, then we can have him as a shepherd. The very thing that our hearts have been longing for, even if we didn't know it, if Jesus is alive, we can have that. We can have a good shepherd that says, I know your name and I care for you and I want you and I call you and I'm good to you and I want life for you. Man, if Jesus is alive, that's what actually is available to us, which is amazing. This is what Jesus says. This is what he says. So let me close with this. What does this mean for us tonight? What does this mean for us tonight? And I know that in this room, people are all over the spectrum. Some of you maybe have been a Christian for a long time and you believe to the very core of your being. And some of you, maybe, maybe you're just checking things out. Maybe you're hardcore atheist. Maybe you're not sure what you believe. Maybe someone told you there was going to be tacos here. I don't know, okay? All over the room, different people, different places. What, what does it mean for us tonight? Let me say a couple quick things as we close. Look, if you're not a Christian, you're not sure what you believe, my appeal to you would be this. Investigate. You're not a sucker. Ask questions. Don't, don't let someone tell you just believe, but also don't be passive in your investigation. Be intentional. What I mean is sometimes people say, man, I, you know, I'm not sure what I believe, and they just take that and live with it. But if this is true, this is, if, if this is true, if what Jim says, if what Jesus says is true, our hearts are longing for a shepherd, and what if that's available? I think you owe it to yourself to investigate with intentionality, which means ask questions that you really want the answers to. I mean, do you know the questions that you need the answers to? Is it about suffering? Why would God allow it? Is it about the resurrection? Is it about, I mean, I don't know what it's about, but ask, ask the questions that you really need answers to, not just kind of living and going, I'm not sure what I believe. Ask intentional questions. Or maybe, maybe you, um, 
Maybe you're just checking things out tonight. Maybe you are a Christian, or maybe this is kind of, you're checking out church, and it's a little weird, a little scary. And, and here's what I would say to you. You'll never be able to experience what Jesus has for you as a shepherd by yourself. You know, what Jesus says is that he wants to bring people into a family. He wants to bring people into a flock. And a lot of times in our culture, we have a very individualistic mindset. And I get that, especially with what Jesus says of bad shepherds and hurting people. And whenever we give ourselves to something, we can feel hurt and pain. But Jesus says this, you'll never really be able to experience what God has for you just as this lone sheep over here. But what he wants to do is bring us into a family. He wants to bring us into a flock. For you, I would say this, man, whether it's here or somewhere else, get connected to a church family. Find a family. You'll experience so much more of God that way. We were never designed to just be us and a shepherd. We were designed to be a part of a flock. That's where life comes alive. I told you earlier that we were doing a class and we were doing a dinner next week. I, I, I would just invite you to that. I'd love for you to come to that and just check things out. Jesus wants you to be a part of a family. And I think many of us, that's what we long for too. We long for that sense of home, that sense of family that maybe we've never had. And Jesus says, that's what he wants for us too. That's what he wants for us. Or maybe you believe, maybe, maybe, maybe now you believe. Maybe you weren't sure what you believed coming in here or maybe you've believed for a long time. And this is what Jesus says about those that believe, that when we see him, when we go, man, okay, I, I, I believe. I want him as my shepherd. I, I believe that he sees that longing in my heart, and that is, and I want him. I want him to save me. I want him to lay down his life for me and make that real for me. And I want the life that he says he gives. You know what we do if that's what we believe? We get baptized. And so look, if, you're, if, you're, uh, if you became a Christian, maybe now, maybe, maybe your heart has been awakened, and you go, man, that's real. That's, that's what I want. Or maybe you've been a Christian, but have never actually been baptized. Maybe you've been a Christian, but have never actually been baptized, knowing. You know, some, I know some people that have gotten baptized and had no clue even what they were doing. They're like, everyone else is doing it. Water looks good. I'm getting in. Don't do that. But if you believe, man, if you believe and, and you go, man, I want Jesus to be my shepherd and he is my shepherd, then Jesus says, you know what the response is? We get baptized. Baptism is a way that we identify. That's what this is, by the way. If some of you are like, why does he have that up there? Is, there some, is it a sheep feeder? No, it's a, it's, there's water in here. We're going to baptize some people tonight. And baptism is a way that we say, man, I have died. Just as Jesus died. My old life is gone. And now I have life with him. The life that he says he came to give. And so if you're a Christian and you believe that and you've never been baptized before, then listen to what Jesus says and identify with him. Baptism isn't magic. This water, it's just water. But it's important. It's like a wedding ring. A wedding ring symbolizes and shows the relationship, the life we have. And this is what Jesus calls us to. And finally this, maybe, maybe you're a Christian and maybe you've been even a part of this church for a while. Maybe you agree with everything I've said tonight. My question is this, is he your shepherd is his voice the loudest voice in your life? Is his voice filling your mind and filling your heart and guiding your life? Jesus says he wants to be our shepherd and his sheep know his voice. Is Jesus' voice the loudest voice in your life? Are you letting him actually be the big thing? Or are you still looking for it in small things? Jesus says, look, I'm your shepherd and I want good for you.
Let my voice be the voice that you listen to. Let my voice be the voice that's filling you and changing you and speaking to you because he wants good for you. So if you're a Christian, you believe all of this. My encouragement to you would be this. Listen to the voice of shepherd because he wants good for you. He wants good for you. Jesus said this. Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is Jesus' heart. This must. Look, this is why we started this church. This is everything we're about. This is what Jesus is about. He says, look, if there really is a God like this, I mean, if there really is a God like this that wants such good for you and is this good shepherd, Jesus says, there is. And he says, I must bring people to know this. This is his heart. This is his passion. He doesn't say, I guess I can get some people to believe this stuff. He says, I must bring these people into my family. It's his heartbeat because he loves you and he cares for you and he gave his life for you. And that's what we remember when we take communion that his blood was shed and his body was broken. Why? Because he must bring us into life with him. That's what he wanted to do. But he didn't stay dead. He rose. That way we can actually have a shepherd. So here's what I want you to do. If you're a Christian, I want you to take communion and remember the good shepherd that loves you and knows your name and gave you life and wants such good for you. And we're going to sing and we're going to celebrate. We're going to bounce in a bouncy house and and we're going to have a great time. We're going to baptize people. And if you've never been baptized, come let me know and we would love to do it tonight. We've got to change the clothes. We've got towels. It's going to be great, okay? So let's pray and let's sing and celebrate. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus. Thank you that you sent him to this earth that you're a God that gives, that you're a God that wants life for us, that you're not a God that wants to take anything from us, but wants to give to us joy and life and fulfillment and the very things that we're longing for. I thank you for that, Jesus. There has never been a God that claimed to be like you, but there is one, you, Lord Jesus, that have said that this is true. And I thank you that you know each person's name and that you care for each person in here. And I pray, God, that those that do not know you, you would call their name They would hear you. They'd respond to you. And Lord, I thank you that you're alive and we can celebrate. In your name, Jesus, we pray.